Well, welcome 9.30. When I welcomed the 8 o'clock service, I said uh, at Fonder Church, the 8 o'clock is also known as our Easter sunrise service. We get up late around here. My family will be on the front row at 11 o'clock. They would never come to an 8 o'clock or a sunrise. Even if it was the only service, they wouldn't come to that one. But we're glad you're here. Everybody in the room knows, uh, whether you're down low or up high or watching from home, everybody knows that the two most important holidays, Christian dates on the, the calendar for the followers of Jesus is, say it with me now, is Christmas and Easter. But I wonder if anybody has any theories as to why Christmas overshadows Easter. Christmas is just a much bigger deal than Easter. Globally, there's many cultures and uh, countries where, where Christmas is really, really celebrated and Easter uh, not as much. And in the United States, y'all know the drill, like we get amped up for Christmas, like the day after Thanksgiving. Don't go earlier than that, okay? Can I just say that? But the day after Thanksgiving, a lot of us get, get amped up about it. And it's like a, a month long buildup to Christmas Day, and we, you know, there's Christmas tree decorations and lighting and caroling. There's uh, dirty Santa parties, as if that doesn't get old. There's uh, eggnog and ugly sweaters, and we just get up for Christmas, don't we? But Easter, if you think about it, for starters, like nobody really even knows what month it is. And if you're in high school or college or have kids in high school and college, you kind of think, I hope. Easter doesn't mess with spring break, so you check the date on that as it approaches. And we, many of you, if you have young children, I miss these days, but you boil eggs and paint them and lose them in the backyard for the kids. And I, my kids are 22, 19, and almost 17. What if I tried that? That probably wouldn't go well today. Dad wouldn't be their favorite on Easter Sunday, but we do that. And then a lot of you get a new outfit and, and make an appearance at church uh, for an hour. But by about 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon, Easter is in the rearview mirror. The greatest theologian, I would call the most brilliant mind that we know in history, he had a sense in the first century that there was a congregation, a very important congregation, that was devaluing Easter. In fact, they were disrespecting the resurrection of Christ. And he writes them, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Corinth, and it's his first letter to them, and it's like he, he grabs them by their collective lapel. And he says, give me 10 minutes of your undivided attention, of your uninterrupted time, and hear me on this. I want to tell you, don't, don't devalue the resurrection. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and a few select verses in this great chapter. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, if in fact the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul knew a bit about the Greco-Roman world of debate and rhetoric and logic, and Paul does something really cool. He starts off by saying, okay, Let's, let's start with where you are, where many of you are. It, it, if the resurrection isn't true, then let's play that out. That's a great parenting technique. When your kids become teenagers, y'all call me if you need any help here. But when you, parent, you see your teenager going on a certain course or believing something, then you go, hey, come here, son. Come here. Come here, daughter. Let's, let's talk about this. If this is what you're saying, this is what you want to do, let's see how this plays out. And that's what Paul does. He goes, let's start there and say the resurrection isn't that important. He gives, he gives six arguments here. And he, I'll be rapid fire. Don't, don't check out on me. You hear a number in church like, Ugh. But don't check out, but he gives six arguments, rapid fire here. He says, first, uh, church, church services are in vain. 
Every church service in the history of the world, every gathering around every continent of the globe was in vain. Every worship song sung, every prayer prayed, every sermon preached was all for naught. Secondly, he says that our faith is a fabrication. It falls to the floor like a house of cards. Thirdly, Paul says, if you're devaluing the resurrection, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we're living a lie. In fact, we're not just living a lie, we're spreading a lie. We're, we're bearing false witness. Now, that meant something to a first century Jewish audience. Uh, they had a sense of a holy God. Hey, we're bearing false witness. We are, as some would say, snake oil salesmen. And then he says, fourth, he says that we're still in our sin. The, 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 you haven't been cleaned. You haven't been washed. You haven't been purified. The, the weight of your moral deeds and misdeeds every sin of thought word action and deed you no one is paid for that and you will stand before a holy god to answer if christ has not been risen from the dead and then he says your loved ones your loved ones that have died they've gone on look i've I've been a part of three funerals this week alone your loved ones that peace that you think you have that that cliche that they're going to a better place, that's a nursery rhyme, that's a fairy tale, it's a myth, it's a misnomer, it ain't real. There's not a place called heaven if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Nobody, nobody's going there. And then Paul says, it's kind of like the, the final point of the nail on the coffin. He says, sixthly, he says that our friends, our friends there that are being persecuted, they're suffering needlessly. They, they're being beaten and imprisoned. He, the writer of this had his own story of this. They're being beaten and imprisoned. They're being sawed in two. They're being fed to the lions in the Roman Colosseum for a bar- barbaric spectacle. And if Jesus is still in the grave, the garden of the tomb outside of Jerusalem, then all this is in vain. But Paul says, he says, Christ has appeared and he goes in chronology here this is a this is a historical event he said jesus has appeared to peter jesus has appeared to the 12 and then jesus appeared to the 500 and uh you're getting in trouble now if it's a lie right you don't want to tell it to too many people he appeared to the 500 then he appeared to james and then he appeared to the apostles high capacity leaders back in the day and then he appeared to me he appeared he appeared He has risen. I want to take those arguments that Paul uses and says, if you're going to devalue Easter and disrespect the resurrection, let's play that out. I want to flip those because we should, because we have the only religion whose central figure rose from the grave. He conquered death. When I first visited the garden of the tomb, I've been twice. When I first visited the the supposed place where Jesus rose from the dead, I was not prepared emotionally or spiritually to look into that tomb. We serve a risen savior flip it what paul's arguments that i paraphrased in first corinthians 15 let's take the church here's what jesus said about the church every time somebody makes a promise you can look to see if it's true here's what jesus said in matthew 18 20 for where two or three gather in my name there i am with them when i was 15 i began to as a as i was a typical 15 year old boy i don't want to sound otherwise i had probably some hormones and some chemical things happening and I was you know just 15 I was wild and unruly in some ways but I would stay in my room and I would not just read 
the gospel narratives of Jesus. I would start memorizing chunks of them. I had two grandmothers who prayed for me, two uncles that were pastor. Kind of a weird thing, but I was just so fascinated by the teachings of Jesus. I had not yet made a decision for him. But I did when I went to a camp on the coast of Mississippi that Hurricane Katrina would take out years later. And my life was changed. My mama's going to be here at 11 o'clock. You can ask her. When I came home, I was a different dude. Something had happened to me. My friends could tell you. Something happened. I had gathered, and for the first time in my life with other believers, I had seen this promise work itself out. Let me ask you, anybody in the room, can you testify? Can you, can you testify today that your life is, that you've felt and sensed and known the manifest presence of Jesus in your life when you've gathered with other believers? Can, can I get an amen from anybody this morning? Can I get a head nod of, man, I've felt that and I've known that. What Jesus said is true. When two or three are gathered, he is there in their midst. Uh, some years ago, I took a couple of weeks off and only a few people knew it, but I, I just had a crushing burden in my life. A crushing burden that was just pressing the very life out of me. And I went to a church one day at the invitation of one person that I knew. It was predominantly a black church. It was very nondescript, a wooden frame church in a somewhat rural area. And I entered that day with very low expectations. I entered that day just thinking, I don't really know anybody here. There's going to be some cultural differences that, that I'm not used to. And so I've got to work through that, and, but it's going to be good. And, but I just, the, the, my expectations were sort of low. And I'm like a pastor and I get to hear somebody else preach today, uh, not in our church. And there was this moment where an elderly woman went to the, to the organ, to the piano. She began to play this song, as I would later learn, as an old black spiritual, and it kind of goes like this. Y'all think I'm going to sing, don't you? I will next week. But she, the song, the, the lyrics were, it's me. It's me, oh Lord, it's me. It's me, oh Lord, it's me, oh Lord. Not, not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me, oh Lord. And I know, I, look, I'm, I'm setting you up. The cynics, any cynics among us, you know, like I'm setting you up to pile on me, to ridicule me, to mock me, to be the object of derision. But I, I want to tell you something. For anybody that would be open to believe this, I'm the risen Christ met me that day. Gathered in worship when even my expectations were low, but there was a brokenness to me. Does anybody know the 34th Psalm? The Lord is near to those who are broken and lowly of spirit. My ego was down and I was just, man, I was searching and I, I wanted the, I had a need and I, I was coming to a need meter. And this song and this woman reminded me, hey, it's for me. Sometimes, a lot of times I come and preach to you and I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about what you need. And this day was a reminder to preach first to myself. And I experienced the presence of the risen Christ that day. And I'm going to tell you, and people can attest to this, the ones in my inner circle can tell you. I left a different person that day. Let me tell you what Jesus promises is true. When we gather, when we lay ourselves bare. So I want to issue you a challenge now. I want to issue you a challenge that, that you would come to church, that you would pick 30 days, maybe the next 30 days, and for four consecutive Sundays, you would come to church. It doesn't have to be this church, although I would love it if it is, but come to church. Let me, let me tell you where we're going. Here's where we're going the next uh, few weeks. We're going to do a series called I've Got Issues. Anybody got issues? 
You know what I love about following Jesus? We live in a world. Here's the modern heart. The modern heart is this. The modern heart is, you know, some people really got some issues, and then there's us. You're like, they really got issues. I got a few, not that big a deal, but they got issues. But when you see the teachings of Jesus, Jesus had people in two camps, not those who have issues and those who don't have issues. He had people, he had people in two camps. There are those who have issues and know they need help and those who have issues and don't know they need help or won't acknowledge. And so for four weeks, we're going to look at, I've got issues. Anybody get anxious? Anybody get angry? Anybody crave approval? Anybody battle with discontentment? I want to issue you a challenge, if not this church, another church. I just want to tell you where we're going. But for four straight weeks, be a part of a gathering and come and say, Lord, uh, maybe different words, but it's, it's me. Lord, I have a need and I need a need meter. I want to give you that challenge today because I believe in our risen Savior. And I believe that he could be good on that promise. Not just that we're flipping these arguments of Paul into the positive, into what I believe is the real, incredible, and substantive truth of Easter Sunday, but not just um, the church, that something can happen in the gathered church, but there's something to our faith. Can I say today, can I say today that we have a faith? We have a faith that is coherent. It, it, it's, there's a tapestry to it, and it's woven together in a very beautiful way. We have a faith that's comprehensive. Our Savior speaks to every need of the human experience. Can I tell you what's being cool? What's cool about being a pastor? There's a lot of things not being cool that aren't cool about being a pastor. But one of the things that's cool is that almost weekly I hear from somebody via email or text that tells me, "Hey, you were speaking to me on Sunday." Even on Sundays that are really bad, when the sermon falls flat, it seems, and there's just not a lot of movement in the place, but, but every single week, it seems that someone says, hey, you were speaking to me. Listen, that ain't me. Can I tell you? That ain't me. That's not me, but there's a faith that speaks to our deepest needs. Hebrews would say the word of God is living and active, and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to divide the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No man has that power, but the spirit of God through the word of Christ can do that in us. Our faith, it's cohesive, and it's comprehensive, and can I say today, and don't let the world foist a lie upon you, our faith is radically inclusive. Do you know this about the, everybody is welcome to come. No one is pushed away. Everybody is welcome with the risen Savior. Our faith, it makes me proud. Hey, that sin thing, that sin thing, if Christ hadn't raised from death, we're still in our sin. Can I tell you today? Can I tell you today that you're washed and cleaned in Jesus? The Bible uses the following metaphors. Take a look. If you're a stargazer, look at Psalm 103 and verse 12. It says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you're a nature lover, take a look at Isaiah 118. Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Remember that snow a couple of months ago? Remember how beautiful it was? You were all out playing in it and posting your pictures. Man, that was awesome. That's what Jesus does with our sin. Another picture, if you're an, an ocean admirer, Malachi 7, 19 puts it this way. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You really smart overthinkers. Do we have any really smart overthinkers? Maybe some theologians. He, uh, it says this in Hebrews. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Don't overthink it. How can an omniscient being forget 
And I feel like God's just looking down on the overthinkers, the theologians, and just saying, hey, deal with it. It doesn't make sense, but deal with it. You have been forgiven. That's what you need to know. You can't explain it all. God is above you. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts, but you're forgiven. And this is the picture that he gives us. Pretend for a moment that, um, that I was to stand up here today and just, man, I just, I just had this idea, a cockamamie idea, that I was going to start a movement, a, a religion of sorts. And I was going to ask you, any of you who would be willing to follow me, and my religion would be this, I would say to you guys that you would uh, want to sit on a stool and you would want to shave your head bald to be beautiful like me. And you would uh, you'd need to get a water bottle like this, this, this one in particular with the FC logo on it. And I've got this movement that I'm going to start and it's about love and it's about following me and listening to me. And I would say to you, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest and shave your head and get a water bottle and a stool and just come follow me. And let me ask you, uh, no one raised their hand at eight o'clock, but what about 930? Would anybody be willing to follow me? Would anybody be willing to shave their head and get a water bottle and a stool and kind of live like me? Anybody, any takers? Now that's kind of a bad deal. I'm off to a bad start. I'm, I'm hoping for the 11 o'clock. But if I was to start a movement, a movement has to have at least one follower. Would you agree? And for a movement to be a movement, you'd need a bunch of followers. And here's the thing, whatever I said about bald heads or stools or water bottles or following me and finding peace and rest, whatever I said at some point, it would have to work for somebody. Would you agree? It would have to work. There would have to be people going, ah, oh, okay, he, he asked me to follow him and, and it made sense. But think with me for a second. Jesus, he made those very same claims and he added, are you talking about brazen and bold? He, he said this, he goes, this movement will spread to the ends of the earth. Now, wait, stop a second. That can be proven. Y'all know I love some faith. Y'all know I call you to faith. Y'all know I want to walk in faith. I want you to walk in faith. But you don't have to have faith. You can just look at the empirical data. You want, you want to with me? Jesus said, my movement will spread to the ends of the earth. He said, where it goes, it will improve humanity all around the world. He said that. And then Jesus said, it cannot be contained. It will continue to grow. Jesus, what about my movement? What about me asking you to shave your head? What about four to five of you that follow me and walk out there at some point? Like we, it's got to work. People got to go, oh, okay. And then what if I said it's going to spread to the ends of the earth? What if I said, hey man, it's going to, it's going to improve humanity and it's going to just continue to grow? Well, not today, but in five and 10 and 20 and 15 years, you can play that out, right? You don't need faith. You can just look at the data. Is any of that true? So look with me at this map on the screen. This is Christianity. A peasant carpenter over 2,000 years ago said, follow me. A peasant carpenter in an obscure village. On the bottom, you'll see uh, no one being Christians. And as, it, as the color brightens to a bold cobalt blue, that's where the Christians are, the followers of Jesus. And there are none because he started something. And he made the promise, just like I don't have any followers to follow me on my little cult thing. He didn't have any followers. But that's the time he said, it's going to spread to the end of the earth. You don't need faith. Suspend faith. Just use your noggin. Y'all want to use your noggin? Take a look. Pew Research. Pew Research sounds like it's uh, religious, right? Like it's biased. Pew Research is not religious and not biased. It's secular. And it's the gold standard of societal 
tracking. It tracks what we believe and where people live and based on what they believe. And the same metric there, the white is where there are no Christians and the blue is where it, there are, it goes up to some nations, some parts of the globe have as much as 80 to 90 plus percent who identify as followers of Jesus. Now look at the bottom. That's all white. That's Antarctica, folks. Jesus doesn't say penguins, okay? But look around, and here's what I'm saying to you. I've asked you to, you don't need faith. That's just fact. Jesus said this movement will spread to the ends of the earth. Guess what? You see it? It has spread to the ends of the earth. Think about the influence of Jesus. Have you thought much about it? Compare Jesus with uh, modern celebrities. I'm not, I'm not trying to be tacky here, but just stay with me for a second. Look at this list of modern celebrities. These are their... Instagram followers, the latest number that when I was doing this, these are the numbers on the right. You guys on uh, Instagram, some of you, and you ever done thing you're like, oh man, I got like a thousand followers. And then you post a video, like, you know, you playing ball, wiffle ball out back. And then you look at your video, like 40 people saw it, right? Anybody do that? Like it's crushing, isn't it? Like, so you don't really have a thousand followers. You just think you have it. You have like maybe 40 followers and they probably weren't even looking. They were just scrolling. How are we doing? Christ is risen. You'll feel better later. But here's Steph Curry, man. The guy can shoot. He can dribble. He's got 21.6 million followers, if you know what I'm saying. LeBron's got him beat. Taylor Swift got to throw her in. My daughter will be here at the 11 o'clock service. I may need to put Harry Styles in there. Here's Kim Kardashian and Beyonce. They're duking it out, aren't they? I put Bruce Willis up there at the last minute just because he's in Jackson and will be at the 11 o'clock service. And then here's Jesus. Here's Jesus who has 2.3 billion followers. Can I just say a very conservative estimate? The largest religion, if you will, look at me, by far. And here, think about followership. What's going to happen, do you think, to some of these folks when the skills of the NBA guys, when they diminish, what's going to happen? What about the beauty of the models and the entertainment? What's, when the beauty fades and when skills diminish, the, the followership is not going to be up, right? It's not going to continue to grow. Do you know Jesus Christ, listen to me today, fact, not faith, no faith, just fact. No person in human history has continued every single year to increase their followership in the millions. Are you with me? Think about, uh, there's, a, there's a book, in fact, anybody want to engage the mind later, I would love for you to read the book, uh, Jesus Skeptic. It's written by an investigative journalist, a guy who was a skeptic most of his life, award-winning journalist, amazing, uh, his testimony, his story. But he, uh, when I was reading the book for the first time, I uh, read it twice, when I read it the first time, he had a graph of the most famous people in the 19th century. And it was a list of 30 names. And of the 30 names, and I'm, I'm, there's a lot of you smarter than me in the room, but I like history, I like to read, and, and so I'm not, you know, the dullest knife in the drawer. And I looked at the list of 30, he's a skeptic, of the most famous people in the 19th century, and guess what? I recognize four names. I recognize Henry Ford, Albert Einstein, Harry Houdini, and Charlie Chaplin. But there's 26 names of men and women I didn't even know who they were. Now, I'm, I'm kind of dumb, but not that dumb. My point is, after about 100 years, even the most famous and popular people, that wanes. It goes away and it diminishes. George Washington and Napoleon, uh, a couple of people in history, Shakespeare would be a great example. Consider Shakespeare. Uh, who has impacted literature and writing like William Shakespeare? 
But you know, his influence began to wane in the 18th century. And, to, and today, I mean, I, I know Dr. Seuss got canceled. I don't know if Shakespeare's next, but, but you know, it, everybody's on the bubble. Everybody, you're on the bubble. I'm on the bubble. You're gonna, maybe you may cancel me. I don't know. But Shakespeare, uh, I don't know if he's going to get canceled. We'll probably find a reason why. But his influence is declining. I'm not up here saying that he hadn't had a great impact on the world. It's just it's not growing every year. Only one. No faith. I'm not asking anybody to have faith. I'm just asking you to look at the facts. And we, Jesus is a notable person, right? I think we can all agree on that. Jesus is a notable person. Consider the influence when it comes to buildings and structures and real estate. Uh, my father-in-law, a great man, passed away almost six years ago. He was on the board of regents at Seton Hall University. Anybody heard of Seton Hall? They're in New Jersey, right across from Manhattan, across the, the river. And he was on the, the, the board of regents, and there was a... a a, a man with a lot of money named, uh, I won't say the name, but he had a lot of money, just a ton of money. And he had um, donated a lot of money and got a building named after him. So I used to joke with my father because I was a poor preacher guy from Mississippi who took one of his daughters. So uh, I would pick on him. I'm like, hey, when are you going to get a building named after you? I mean, that's cool you're on the board, but what about a building? It's a real, uh, it's rarefied air. You have to do something great or donate a lot of money to get a building named after you. And this one particular guy got busted. It was all over the news about the time of the WorldCom en Enron scandals. He got busted for wiretapping and money fraud and money laundry, all kind of all kind of stuff. And I, I, I was, um, I hate to capitalize on the misfortune of others, but I would joke with my father-in-law, like, hey, what, what do y'all do, do? You're on the board. What do y'all do with the building that was named after him? Most people at best would have one or two buildings named after them. I'm hoping when I die and all efforts to resuscitate me are done, that you would name something here after me. Maybe uh, throw me on a stained glass, maybe the Robert Greene Prayer Garden, or put my name out by the dumpster, that'd be cool. You know, yeah, just something by the dumpster, just put my name out. Like, that's the, honestly, that's the best shot I got. I'm not fooling myself up here. I, that's the best shot I got. But anybody, you gotta do something great, or you gotta donate a lot of money to get your name. Andrew Carnegie is one of the very few people that's had a whole bunch of buildings. In the early, uh, early part of the century, he donated or built 2,000 libraries around the world. Y'all know of Carnegie Hall in New York City. That, he's one of the few people. But can I just say, Andrew Carnegie has nothing on Jesus. A bunch of you passed a bunch of buildings named in honor of Jesus on your way to this building named in honor of Jesus. And you can go all, you know, all around the world, the Pew Research and others bear this out. You can go almost anywhere in the world and you find it hard to go a number of miles without seeing something named in honor of Jesus. A place, a house of worship. You can be on distant islands and remote countries where there's not even a Starbucks or a McDonald's and you're going to see churches named after him. The influence of Jesus. It points to the fact that there is something so notable, so notable about him. His influence has grown. Jesus made another promise. He said that the gates of hell will not prevail. What if I said that? What if I said, hey, come with me and we're starting a movement. We're going to walk out the door. You got to shave your head and follow me. Blah, 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 blah. If anybody follows me and I made these claims, what could stop us? The police, ridicule, the fact that what I promised him ain't working, guess what? It ain't working. I, nobody should follow me. But at some point, it's got to work. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen to me. Pandemics and plagues can't stop the church. War and famine and pestilence 
cannot stop the movement of Jesus. When the Soviet Union outlawed Christianity, when they took men and women and they made them stay, stay out in the camps of Golgag and they froze to death, the movement was not snuffed out. When Nero in the first century took Christians and lit them up for illumination for his outdoor garden parties, Christianity grew at its fastest pace ever. It can't be stopped, stifled, or slowed down. You know what? Jesus made that promise, and you don't need any faith. That's fact. Consider... uh, the time we've been going through. It's tough, it's hard, this pandemic and the loss of life and the fear that we're all walking through and the desire to get back to normal and, and get over this. COVID, coronavirus, has nothing on the smallpox virus. The smallpox virus at one point in the history of the world was taking out one in three people. I don't know what the COVID statistics are. It's not pretty, it's been, a, it's been terrible. But it is, listen, nothing compared to one in three, nothing. At one point, 300 to 500 million people had died of smallpox. A little boy named Edward was seven years old. He was raised in an orphanage. And despite the odds, the fractured family, he had a Christian influence. Followers of Jesus loved him and provided for him. They rescued him. He became a medical doctor. Edward, as a man, he had an only son, an only son. And he had observed that during the smallpox that, that dairy maids who had the cowpox, they weren't getting smallpox. And through some bold experimentation, he was willing to take his only son. Sound familiar? And he took his only son. He was willing to sacrifice him, and he injected him with the virus, and it led to the smallpox virus, it led to the eradication of the worst virus in the history of humanity. And here's what Edward Jenner said about it. By the way, if you go to CDC or WHO, I know we've got some doctors, a lot of doctors in the room, nurses and such. If you go to those websites, the doctors who remember what they learned in medical school, Edward Jenner is known as the father of modern immunology. And here's what he said, guided by Jesus. I am not surprised that men are not grateful to me, but I wonder that they are not grateful to God for the good which he has made me, the instruments of conveying to my fellow creatures. It was so bold. People didn't like him at first. And then he saved, they estimate, he has saved more lives than the U.S. population and the Russian population combined. Okay. How about that? Wouldn't it be cool to save a life? What if there's like a burning building and you rent went in and saved somebody? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, man, I would, that, if I did that, I'd be preaching about it all the time. Like that person was that burning building, burning, man, I saved that life. Mm. Saved a life. Hey, y'all, saved that life. Turn to Matthew. Hey, you remember when I saved that life? That'd be cool to save a life. What about saving hundreds of millions of lives? Here's what he would go on to say. The sacred scriptures form the only pillow in which the soul can find repose and refreshment. The scientific revolution, it's not just the father of immunology, but it's Isaac Newton. It's, it's other things, it's Blaise Pascal. From the scientific revolution to university and hospitals to medicine and healing to literacy and education, you don't have to have any faith. Look at me. 
You don't have to have any faith. It is a fact of history that the greatest force of good in the history of the world is the Jesus movement. The people that have been in St. Valentine's Day, uh, Martin Luther King Day, all these holidays, the All Saints Day, all around us, we Sundays off. I've got a friend who's an atheist. He rides me hard a lot. I love him to death. I'm praying that he comes to faith, that the eyes are, his eyes are open spiritually. Only the Spirit can do that. But he goes, hey, I give you credit. Thanks to Jesus, the Jesus movement, I get Sundays off. And that's true. The early Christians, they believed that Jesus rose on a Sunday, and that led to everything today. Some of you bankers and finance people in the house know that the global stock market is still, to this day, closed on Sunday all around the world. It's the influence of the life of Jesus. So what about the bad? What about those who call on the name of Jesus, and they're hypocrites, and they're hateful. Y'all know, y'all know some folks like that? Like, there's not a day that doesn't go by where the, we don't take a hit. Like, the, the, the Jesus movement will not be stuffed out. It won't be stifled or stopped. It's only growing and spreading. It's the largest thing in the world by far. But what about the hatred and the hypocrisy? What about all the self-interest? What about the things that just make your stomach churn when you see someone who claims that they're a Christian? Years ago, I went to a large chain restaurant and I ate food and me and my friends all got food poisoning. Y'all want to hear all the details? It wasn't pretty. It made our stomach churn and we just had to get rid of it. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus said that you will know my disciples in that they show love to one another. Who do they love? They love one another. They love their enemies. They love everyone. And that's how you'll know my true disciples. If it's hatred, if it's hypocrisy, it's not of Jesus. Can we say that? I vomited that food out. And you know what? Anytime I'm in any city with that food chain, I never go eat there. I never will eat there again. Ask me later what it is, and I'll tell you the same. You know what? But here's the good news. This is it's really good news if you like me. I didn't stop eating. In fact, I found a whole lot of other good restaurants. And Jesus said that there are some people, man, they'll make you sick with their hatred of other people and their hypocrisy. They speak in the name of God. They are not of God. They don't show love for other people. They're about their agenda. They use my name to prop themselves up. And Jesus said, he gave us a promise. He said, and let God take care of this. It's not my job or yours. He said, I'll spit them out of my mouth. I'll spit them out of my mouth. They're revolting to me. I'll vomit them out. God will take care of that. Jesus has impacted the scientific community, the medical community, our universities and high schools. He's, he's, the top 10 hospitals in the world have Christian beginnings. All 10, top 10. The World Economic Forum is not a religious organization at all. And they weigh the impact um, of nations regarding women's empowerment and women's equality. The top 10 nations of the world empowering women all have a vast Christian minority, the average 75%. Conversely, the top, the worst nations about women's empowerment, according to the World Economic Forum, not a religious institution, Yemen, Chad, Jordan, Syria, Pakistan, boom, 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 all have stifling Christian minorities. The movement of Jesus 
is the greatest movement of good in the history of the world. It has spread to the ends of the earth. It cannot be stopped, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me close with a picture because I want to make it personal because it's Easter. It's so funny, after the first service, Nick Crawford was our host, and he stood up here and said, hey, thanks for coming, blah, 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 and y'all, everybody wants to go out and take a selfie uh, outside, and I just think it's funny. You come to church, worship Jesus, go take a selfie. Like, that's the action step. Go take a selfie. Well, that's not the action step. I want to give you this picture before you go take your selfie. The hand of the Savior is offered to everyone today. It's a cohesive faith. It's a comprehensive faith. It's a radically inclusive faith. Are you in? Do you know this compelling figure? Do you know the one who brings life? You may look at this today and you may say, you know, RG, I got that. I I acknowledge my weakness and my life is in the grip of another who's greater than me. And I have, I have, I'm imperfect, but I've got guidance and I've got comfort. I've got protection. He leads me. Can I say to you today, I want to hug you, but COVID won't let me. But listen, I want to say to you today, be grateful for it and guard it if that's you. But some of you on Easter Sunday have to look at that and say, uh oh. Uh oh. I don't have that. Nobody's guiding me. I fear death. To some extent, I feel alone. And I need, I need God. The one who talked about the power of the resurrection says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Today I stand before you, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know why? It's the power of God into salvation. And I've seen it. I've seen it in my life, in the lives of others. Would you stand with me for just a second? We're about to sing and we're about to go so you can go take your selfie. But ask your selfie if you know this Savior. Ask your selfie if you know the power of the risen Lord. Can I say something to you today? I don't know if you sense it in me, but I'm proud of my faith and I'm proud of my Savior. And it is, it is powerful to know his love. And the greatest gift, the greatest gift that you can give another human being is to tell them of a God who radically loves them. Father, would you bless everyone that dressed up or dressed down, that walked here, that rode here, that laughed here, that fought to get here. Would you bless everyone Lord, I pray that you would nudge some people in the power of your Holy Spirit despite the fallibility of this preacher. That you would nudge people in your spirit to taste and see that the Lord is good. To test and know that your word is true. And God, I thank you today intellectually that it doesn't require faith. We just look at the fact how the gates of hell can't prevail. This gospel will spread to the ends of the earth and it brings life and goodness. And it's so notable. But Lord, in its notability, let us not miss knowing the nearness of our Savior. In Jesus, we pray, amen.